Colonial Tulips. It was a chilly morning on Saturday, March 4, 1905. President Theodore Roosevelt sat high upon the horse-drawn carriage as it chauffeured him down Pennsylvania Avenue. Along both sides of the street, Washingtonians eagerly stood on their tiptoes, trying to catch a glimpse of T.R. Roosevelt waved to the crowd, occasionally tipped his hat, and frequently leaned forward, whispering in his driver's ear. With each stride of the horse, a dozen or so Secret Service agents continually surrounded the president's carriage. As the horseshoes clanked on the street, the Secret Service agents kept pace. To Roosevelt's immediate right, keeping stride with the carriage, was his 29-year-old head of security, Jacob O'Shea. O'Shea's black overcoat hung to his knees. His top hat was pulled low, so only his piercing eyes could be seen. As he strolled next to the president, O'Shea scanned the crowd for any questionable behaviors. If he were to see any potential problems. Jake's job was to pounce in the carriage and use his body to shield the president. If Jacob O'Shea had to take a bullet for T.R., he would, just as he did on San Juan Hill seven years ago. Jake O'Shea vowed to give his life if it meant supporting his country. As the president and his entourage approached the Capitol, the crowd attempted to surround the carriage. Jake O'Shea barked out orders: "Get back!" Stay back. That's close enough. Make room. The crowd respected the agent's orders. As the carriage entered the Capitol grounds, T.R. sportingly hopped down with an obvious spring in his step. Roosevelt took every opportunity to remind America that he was a respectable athlete. T.R. was an avid rower, boxer, and even a big game hunter. However, on this day, his sport of choice was public speaking. Flanked by O'Shea and five other top agents, President Roosevelt made his way to the stage where numerous VIPs were positioned. In the audience were members of Congress, governors, business leaders, and other special guests. Two of the lucky spectators on the front row were Peter and Shannon O'Shea. Jake had arranged for his brother and sister-in-law to have a perfect bird's-eye view of the jovial T.R. It was only a few months ago that the O'Sheas had settled in Manhattan's Upper West Side. They had arrived in Washington D.C. a few days before the inauguration, and were staying with Jacob in his Capitol Village neighborhood row home. Their daughter Claire was four months old now. Since his graduation from the University of Chicago last year, things had changed quite a bit for Peter and Shannon. Peter had accepted a job as associate vice president at Doubleday Publishing in New York. He had even managed to get Shannon part-time work reading manuscripts for the company. After the birth of Claire, Shannon realized that she needed an outlet from full-time motherhood. She thoroughly enjoyed her job reading potential novels, biographies, cookbooks, and all sorts of literature. Claire was at home in the care of her aunt Anna O'Shea. Anna was several years older than Peter and Shannon, but was immensely satisfied by caring for a young niece. Peter and Shannon were grateful to have Anna living with them. It had made their lives much easier, 
as they were both working many hours a week. After the speech, Jacob was required to accompany President Roosevelt to a few inaugural celebrations. Later that evening, he planned to meet Peter and Shannon back at his row home. TR's speech was brisk and only took a few minutes. Shannon was a bit irritated that Theodore Roosevelt did not discuss her newfound cause of women's suffrage. In fact, Theodore Roosevelt didn't mention any specific political issues. Rather, he spoke about a broad overview of topics. The whole speech was rather bland to the stylish Shannon, who had become accustomed to the high energy that New York City offered. After fighting their way through the crowded DC streets, Shannon and Peter finally made it back to Jake's house. Later that evening, about 9.30, Jacob arrived at his Capitol Hill Village neighborhood row home. Peter and Shannon were still wide awake, reading manuscripts for work. The eldest O'Shea brother walked in, greeted his guests, and delivered surprising news. Over the years, President Roosevelt and Jacob O'Shea had become good friends. To this day, they worked with each other during every moment of President Roosevelt's public life. It was kind of a big brother type of relationship. So when T.R. heard that Jake's baby brother was in town, he demanded that Peter and Shannon have breakfast with his family the next morning. Shannon was ecstatic and immediately darted for her suitcase to find an appropriate outfit. The two brothers just chuckled, poured fresh cups of coffee, and began to reminisce about the past. The next morning, the three O'Shea's arrived at the White House's main entrance at 10.30, just in time for the late morning brunch. Jacob led everyone through the visitor's entrance. He made his way to the newly added West Wing and into the Roosevelt's private dining quarters. Theodore and Edith Roosevelt were seated at a round glass table overlooking the colonial gardens. Although no flowers had bloomed, the gardens were well kept and yearned to feel the warmth of spring. The O'Shea's and Roosevelt's exchanged greetings and comfortably sat down. I understand you all live in Manhattan. Did you know I was raised on East 20th Street? T.R. asked. Shannon immediately jumped in. Indeed, Mr. President. We bought a walk-up brownstone on the Upper West Side last year with a wonderful view of Central Park, and we are just a block away from the subway. However, my favorite part of the building is our wide front soup. I have room for several potted plants and flowers. Sometime next month, the weather should be warm enough to plant my little city garden. Theodore Roosevelt informed the exuberant Shannon about his wife's creation of the colonial gardens just outside the window. President Roosevelt was obviously pleased with his wife's landscaping as he spoke with great pride. After the two exchanged thoughts on gardening, the president switched the topic and asked Shannon her opinion of his inaugural speech. Shannon began to explain. Well, Mr. President, I thought you did a great job discussing the direction you want to take the country, but I was disappointed that you didn't address the issue of women's suffrage. It is the most important domestic issue of our time. Mrs. Roosevelt looked at her husband, rolled her eyes, and lifted her brow. It was as if she was telling her husband, I told you so. The president took a bite out of his omelet, stared out of the window, and responded to Shannon's statement. 
I really admire you and all the other suffragettes out there. But in my first three years as president, I have battled monopolies, helped promote unions, passed child labor laws, broken up several illegal trusts, witnessed the Wright brothers invent flight, and I've met with Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois regarding race relations in America. Oh yes, another thing, Mrs. O'Shea, I've also convinced Congress to pay for the Panama Canal construction. I'm sure suffrage is important to you, but right now it's an issue that is not winnable in Congress. Well, you know, Mr. President, Susan B. Anthony is not doing so well. She is ill and probably won't live much longer. I was hoping she would live to see women's voting rights enacted. A few months ago, she met with our Upper West Side Suffrage Association. Miss Anthony told us that if she could have voted in the election, she would have supported you. As much as you enjoyed breaking up Standard Oil and taking down big businesses, you could have had millions more votes if women had the same rights as men. Shannon emphatically pointed out. The president was amused at Shannon's enthusiasm. Peter and Jacob pretended not to hear the conversation. They continued sipping juice while nibbling on their omelets and sausage. Neither man wanted to get in the middle of the discussion. Shannon saw that the president respected her position, but she didn't want to ruin the brunch with a political argument. Shannon hurriedly brought up the less controversial topic of Peter's job at Doubleday Publishing. I think I have a manuscript here. You should read, Mr. President. It really is something that you may want to take a look at. But to be honest with you, it's not really breakfast table material. Perhaps you, Mrs. Roosevelt, would like to take a stroll in the Colonial Garden. Shannon inquired. Edith was more than happy to show Shannon around. Before they could get out of the door, Peter whispered in the Shannon's ear, Tell me, you didn't bring the jungle? Jacob took Peter on a tour of the White House, while the other three walked and talked in the garden. As Shannon explained the manuscript, the president listened intently. Mrs. Roosevelt was less interested and opted to groom a few of her plants. The jungle was a manuscript that the executives at Doubleday had assigned Shannon to read and evaluate. It was a novel but was based on truth and reality. The author, a new writer named Upton Sinclair, went undercover as a Chicago meatpacking worker. Once employed at a meatpacking plant, Sinclair began to witness some of the most disturbing, obscene, heinous, and flat-out nasty occurrences imaginable. The novel focused on a group of immigrants employed in the meatpacking industry. Sinclair told a story of survival, love, and disappointment. What really made an impact on the president were the unbelievable facts about how America's meat was being processed. Theodore Roosevelt asked Shannon to read a bit of the most influential parts. The stroll throughout the beautiful colonial gardens was about to become a bit unpleasant. Okay, Mr. President, here it goes. Oh, try not to think about the sausage you ate during brunch. Shannon opened the manuscript to a page she marked last night at Jacob's house and began reading. 
there was never the least attention paid to what was cut up for sausage. There would come all the way back from Europe old sausage that had been rejected, and that was moldy and white. It would be doused with borax and glycerin and dumped into the hoppers and made over again for home consumption. There would be meat that had tumbled out on the floor in the dirt and sawdust where the workers had tramped and spit uncounted billions of consumption germs. There would be meat stored in great piles and rooms and the water from leaky roofs would drip over it and thousands of rats would race about on it. It was too dark in these storage places to see well, but a man could run his hand over these piles of meat and sweep off handfuls of the dry dung of rats. These rats were nuisances, and the packers would put poison bread out for them. They would die, and then the rats, bread, and meat would go into the hoppers together. President grabbed his stomach as he suddenly began to feel nauseous. I feel nauseous. The great leader of the Rough Riders was nearly brought to his knees. Nearly brought to his knees. The thought of Americans consuming sawdust and rat poop in their meat products made the president nearly regurgitate his food. provided the president with everything he needed. T.R. was clearly impressed with the 24-year-old. He reached into his jacket and pulled out a worn red pocket knife. The president flipped the knife open and strolled towards the outer edge of his wife's garden. He bent down on one knee and dug into the earth. Repeating this process three or four times, he finally stood up. In his left hand, he held four tulip bulbs. The president reached into his front jacket pocket and retrieved a beige handkerchief. It was monogrammed with the initials T.R. Jr. in the upper left-hand corner. He opened the cloth and gently wrapped the fragile bulbs. Theodore Roosevelt explained, Here, these should grow nicely on your front stoop. 
just plant them in three or four inches of soil. They will grow well when the weather warms. I have a busy day, so I must get going. My wife will show you inside. Thank you, sir. Shannon replied. As the president retreated towards the White House, Shannon turned to find Edith Roosevelt. The first lady was grooming a fragile azalea plant. Shannon bent down and helped pull away a few of the dying leaves. As she squatted with the president's wife, Shannon curiously wondered what color her tulips would be when they bloomed on her New York stoop.